Well, good morning. Man, I want to thank you for being a part of worship this morning. It is, uh, I, I love it when we hear this place just filled with your praises. And so thank you for not just being a spectator, but engaging in the worship. It's just, uh, I know God loves to hear your voices. So thank you for that. I want to welcome you, and if this is your first time, second time, maybe you're a little bit new here, you're trying to figure out whether this could be your church home, I want to invite you out to guest services uh, after the service. We've got a team, they'd love to meet you, they'd love to get to know you, share some information with you, maybe so you would consider making Central your church home. Well, you heard about it a little bit at prayer time and in the announcement video, but this next week is Wind Shape, so I just would encourage you, I see some blue shirts I think back over here, can we just thank them for being here this week? We're excited just to see what God's going to do through the Windshape Camp. We know every year just amazing things happen, so I just would encourage you, be praying over this. Every day when you wake up, if you could, be praying for Windshape, for the volunteers, for the kids, and for everyone involved, and we can't wait to share what happens uh, in the camp. We know it's going to be great. Well, this is week three in the Identity Series, so hopefully uh, you guys have gotten as much out of it as I have. I know it's challenged me, and I hope it's done the same thing for you. Well, this morning I have a question for you. How many of you have ever been to an art gallery? Anybody? I know this might shock you, but I've actually been to one once. And even if you've never been to an art gallery, maybe you have been somewhere like a museum or, or walking through a town, and you stumble across art. And I'm talking about the abstract art, something that you stand there and you just have to take some time to try to figure it out, right? You're staring at it. You kind of turn your head a few times and you're trying to figure out what it is. If you're like me, I've never gotten it right. I look at it. I guess I try to figure it out, but I can never figure out what it is. You see, I'm looking at it through my own eyes. I'm looking at it through my experiences, my creativity, my life experiences, It's not until I I read the little plaque next to the art that tells me more about the author, the creator of that piece. I find out a little bit about where they're from, maybe some of their greatest successes or failures or what their passions were. And all of a sudden, I start to get a little bit of insight into that piece, right? You start getting some hints and some clues, and maybe you start to figure out, oh, I think I know what this is. But even just knowing the author, I can't completely know the piece, can I? No, lucky for me, the author usually explains it a little bit further. The creator says, this is exactly what the piece is. This is what it is. This is the title. This is its purpose. This is its meaning. This is why I created it. Well, I want to remind you, as we're talking about identity, the world really looks at us kind of like that abstract piece of art. Because it doesn't know God, doesn't know our creator, the world tries to give us labels, tries to tell us who we are, but it's never going to get it right. So for us, I just want to remind you, don't be looking to the world for your identity. Don't be looking for the world to give you labels that are accurate. No, we've got to go back to God's word, don't we? We go back to God's word and we find out more about the creator, the author of life. And the more we find out about God, the more we tend to understand and recognize our own identity. And luckily for us, God doesn't stop there. He actually spells it out, doesn't he? He tells us we're a new creation. He gives adjectives and descriptions and labels of who we are. He tells us so that we can be crystal clear. This is who you are. 
So whether it be this week or in six months or at any point in your life, when, when you're thinking about identity and, you, and you're hearing all of the things come at you from all the different places, go back to God's word. Be reminded of who you are and who God says you are and you've created to be. All right, would you stand with me out of respect for God's word? As we begin, we're going to read from Ephesians 2.10 today. It says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that we don't have to look to anyone but you to know who we are. Thank you for calling us your masterpiece and telling us that we are created uniquely in your reflection. Thank you for our identity that is found in you and you alone. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so when we look at that passage, we've got to take a little bit of a look back, okay? We start off, and the first word of that says for, so it's kind of like that therefore. We go back so we can see, okay, Paul's telling us something. This is kind of the result of it. We're not going to spend a ton of time in it, but we're going to look at the, the nine verses before that, starting in, in chapter two. And what you're going to see is that common theme that we've been talking about during this whole series, you should pick it up on your own, this idea of the old identity, the old way of life, that now God has created a new identity when you gave your life to Jesus. So let's look at it here beginning in, in chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger just like everyone else. So we see that old way of life. We see the past tense. This is the way you used to live. But then the good news is we've given that new identity. There's a transition. There's a change. And here it takes place. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as an example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So we see in the, in the beginning of those passages, again, the old way of life, that old identity that is rooted in the world and the flesh. But then we have the transition. We give our life to Christ and we become a new creation. And it's not by anything we've done. We talked about that, right? We can't work to earn our new identity. Jesus did the work. If you remember how we ended last week, we said that eternal life leads to eternal living. It's not the other way around. We don't live this life and this good life and then we just inherit eternal life out of it. No. No, we have to accept the gift that has been given to us. 
We have to accept it. And when we receive that gift, we're given salvation. And then Paul tells us, and then we live it out. We receive our identity and then live it out. All right? And so we look at it and we say, okay, well, where did this new identity come from? And I want to remind you that the new creation comes from being united and connected with Jesus Christ. I hope you picked up on it, but just in those few passages, I think it was referenced three times in Jesus or in Christ. The New Testament, you will see that over and over again. That phrase, in Jesus or in Christ. Because the unity, the relationship that we have with Jesus is center to the gospel. And so we see that here in verse 10, the, the passage for today where we look and we see that God says, you're a new creation. I've made you new, new in Christ Jesus. You gave your life to him. You chose to follow him. And now I made you a new creation. And he calls us, he gives us the title and the label in that new creation as a masterpiece. Doesn't that sound good? Don't you like being called a masterpiece this morning? I saw a couple spouses elbowing their, their, their spouse going, see, I told you I was a masterpiece. <laughs> but it feels good to be called a masterpiece, doesn't it? Man, that word has incredible worth and meaning and value. I want you to know that you are God's masterpiece. And when we start thinking about a masterpiece... We, we look at the, the Greek word, the, the root word for masterpiece, and in some um, translations we see handiwork, that you're God's handiwork. But we begin looking at that, that word masterpiece, and at the root of it, it's a Greek word, poema. And that's where we get the word poem and poet from. And when we look at it and really dive in and look at the meaning of it, what we see is a creator, someone that creates something, and they pour everything into it. They hold nothing back. So all of their resources, all of their creativity, all of their time, all of their energy, everything gets poured in to this piece, and it becomes a masterpiece. We see that in the art world too, don't we? We, we see it where people look at a piece of art and they go, wow, this is a masterpiece. And usually it's followed with some, some sort of a comment about the artist. Man, they just poured themselves into it. You can see them in their work. It's true for us too. As God's masterpiece, he has held nothing back in our new creation. When you gave your life to Jesus and you became that new creation that we see in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we talked about week one, you're a new creation and he's held nothing back. And we can see God in us. We are his reflection. You can see his work. You can see his handprint all over us as his masterpiece. Well, as much as I would like to, to think we all sit here and we go, yes, I am God's masterpiece I know for some of us, it's kind of hard to look at ourselves as a masterpiece, isn't it? We find ourselves, maybe some of you sitting in the pews this morning, or you woke up this morning and, and you didn't see a masterpiece when you looked in the mirror. You, you saw something that you, you didn't appreciate, you didn't value, you, you thought you're too small or too big or not very smart, not talented, not gifted. And you had these thoughts come in, and, and these are things that the world has told us about. 
the labels and the identity that the world has tried to give us, saying, this is who you are. But yet God says, no, you're my masterpiece. I've created you this way. You are my reflection. And so I want to remind you this morning that when we see a piece of art and we find ourselves critical of the art, and we look at it and go, well, we don't really like that piece of art. And it's not just being critical of the art. It's actually being critical of the artist. And so when we find ourselves saying things like, man, I'm not gifted. I'm not talented. I don't like what I see in the mirror. We're actually saying back to God who created us, God, do you really know what you're doing? Are, are you really a God of beauty? Look at me. God, how smart are you if, if I don't think I'm smart? And, and we point this back to the creator. It's not just that we're saying it to ourselves. We're saying it back to the one who made us. And God's saying, that's not who you are. See yourself the way I see you. You are my masterpiece. And you know, it's hard because we talked about wounds, right? And when we, when we say these things about ourselves, it just creates wounds, and the wounds are hard enough when they come from places of the world, when it's people outside, when it's friends, when it's people you work with, when it's whoever out in the world, and they say these things about you, and it wounds you. But when it comes from within, that scares me the most. I think those wounds cut even deeper, don't they? And if you go back to, to our first week, we talked about the world really takes advantage of those wounds, and we try to form our identity sometimes around those wounds, to cover those wounds, to hide those wounds, because we don't want to be seen that way. We feel that way, and so we, we create these kind of fake identities. We build things up in our lives so that we don't have to see ourselves that way, and hoping that others don't see us that way means that we won't have to go through some of the pain. But that's not our identity. We're not trying to cover up what we see. No, we're made completely new. And God says this morning, you're a masterpiece. You're made with his glory, with his creativity, with his power. We're a reflection. So we shouldn't walk around being boastful and prideful or arrogant, but we should be able to stand tall. We should be able to look in the mirror and appreciate what God has done, what he has created, and who we are. Have that confidence. Have that boldness. And I want you to know, as part of God's masterpiece, he's gifted you. He's given you special gifts and talents and abilities so that we can what? We can do the good works that it talks about. Our good works should impact all people. Good works simply is this. Is it's an act for the benefit of others. So we've been created to do things that will benefit other people. You know, Jesus is our example, right? We want to live more like Jesus and look more like Jesus. Look what we see here. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for, the, for God was with him. We see Jesus going around and doing good, doing good works for the benefit of others. We see it all throughout scripture, don't we? And, and I want to point out the key at the end of there is it says, for God was with him. Last week, we talked about being led by the spirit so we could bear fruit. 
It's the same thing today when we're talking about good works and doing things for the benefit of others. We have to be connected with God so that we can look like Jesus in doing our good works. Look what Jesus says. He says, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Our good works aren't good without God. We have to stay connected to the vine so that the good works in our life will produce that fruit, the fruit that comes from God and God alone. And our good works, again, they're for all people. Look what it says. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So when we think about doing good works, it's not good works just for those that we think deserve it. It's good works for anyone and everyone as God leads you. So it's good works for those that may have a bumper sticker that's different than yours right now. It might be you're driving home and and there's a car stranded on the side of the road and you stop to help and you find out it's the person that tore down our sign this week. Guess what? If God says to do a good work, if he's called you at that time to do a good work, do a good work. Push their car. Fill up their tank with gas. Take them to lunch. It's not those that just deserve it. Your flesh is going to be telling you different things. Remember in Galatians, we talked about the flesh and the spirit are in conflict. Your flesh is going to be frustrated and angry. But if we're led by the spirit, then we should be forgiving and peaceful and be able to show that love and that kindness, even to those that we don't think deserve it. But to point out that especially to those in the family of faith, You see, when we come into the family of faith, remember now we're called children. We're children of God. That means that we're brothers and sisters and we should take care of our family. We should take care of one another and help one another. Do the best to do things for your benefit, the benefit of the other people. And that's not just in the family of faith here at Central, but that's the family of faith at large. You probably have neighbors or friends or people you might run into that are believers. They are children of God. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They may not go to Central, but they're part of the church, aren't they? There's a bigger church. And so God says, take care of those that are part of our family. Take care of your brothers and sisters. Every chance you get, take advantage of it and do good works. Do things for those that belong to the family. Now, God's given you gifts and abilities, and and some of those are to be used outside of the church. Some can be used both inside and outside the church. There's lots that God has blessed you with. But there's also some gifts that God has told us that are specifically for the church. When we have the Holy Spirit come into our life, when we accept Jesus, the Spirit brings gifts. And each of us are blessed with a gift of the Spirit that should be and can be used in the context of the church. You see this, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. We have opportunities in the church to use our spiritual gifts. And we're not getting into all of those gifts today, but God has given you as a believer a spiritual gift that can be used in the church for the benefit of other people. 
You see, God has created the church in a way that the church thrives and functions when you and me use the gifts God has given us inside the church. He doesn't want the gifts to be wasted. He wants them to be used. And we're thankful for those of you that are using your gifts in the church. It makes such a difference. Such a difference. Think about our worship this morning. Think about those that are using their gifts in the choir and orchestra and singing. We're thankful when people use their gifts and you can see how it impacts the church. I want you to know that many organizations too in our community, especially um, the, the Christian organizations, the nonprofits that we partner with, many of them are hopeful and built around the idea that we as believers will use the gifts that God has given us to go help and to serve. Whether it be in homeless shelters or Lord's Diner or wherever it might be, we have gifts that we can use outside of the church as well. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that if, if you're not involved, if you're not using your gifts somewhere, the gifts that God has given you as a masterpiece, that on the back of your worship folder, there, there's an opportunity to be able to connect with us for opportunity to serve both inside the church and outside the church. And we'd love to connect with you because we want you to use the gifts that God has given you. We want to see that happen in your life. God continues to add and subtract to his masterpieces. You know, sometimes we recognize that we have gifts, but we make excuses for it, don't we? We say, well, again, back to those things we see. Well, I'm not, I'm not gifted enough. I'm not smart enough. I haven't been a Christian long enough. There, there, there's many different kind of excuses that we give for not doing the good works and living out our life the way that God wants us to do. But I want to remind you, no, we're not perfect, but we are still God's masterpiece right now. And he's given you gifts and abilities to do the good works, to get involved right now where you're at. Doesn't mean it's where you're going to stay and end up because he continues to add and subtract. And what I mean by that is God is still standing there. He looks at you as his masterpiece, but in one hand, he still has the brush. And in the other hand, he has some sandpaper. And we go through things in life. We go through trials and suffering and heartaches. You know what? And, and God does a little bit of erasing, doesn't he? And sometimes it's a little painful when those things get removed from our life. But, but he removes it. We're, we're already the masterpiece, but he's making it better. And he, and he comes back with the paintbrush and he paints over it. And he, and he creates us even better than before. We come out on the other side, even a greater masterpiece. You see, and I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. God's began the work in you. He's created you as a masterpiece. But he wants to continue to shape you and mold you and to make you look more like Jesus. And so he will continue to add and subtract, but we have to trust him. He's the great creator. He's the one that made us new so we can trust that when we go through these things, it's okay. We're gonna come out on the other side. If we stay connected to God, if we put our trust and our faith in him, we will come out better than before. 
Well, I started thinking about the idea of a masterpiece this week, and I started wondering, I was going, I wonder what we would consider in our world as kind of the greatest masterpiece. What's it, what, what is it? And the criteria I kind of went with was, will it be an art piece? And then I thought, you know, something is only worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it, right? So there's many art pieces out there, and, and some of them have just crazy value that, that are estimates, but no one's ever paid for them. They've never gone up for auction, anything like that. And so I started looking. I said, well, what is the masterpiece that has brought the highest price tag? And here's what we found. This is a painting by Leonardo da Vinci. It's actually of Christ. Kind of interesting, isn't it? That the, the, the masterpiece that is sold for the most money is of Jesus. Do you know how much this piece sold for in 2016? Might, might blow you away a little bit. $450 million. I want you to know if you own that piece, if that's any of you, our foundation would happily accept that as a donation. $450 million. That's a lot of money, isn't it? It's a lot of money for a piece, for a masterpiece that was created by man. Well, I want to remind you, you and me, we're masterpieces, right? Look at this. We are God's masterpieces. You are God's masterpiece. I am God's masterpiece. And so while the world has that painting and that picture, and it sold for $450 million, someone bought that for $450 million, I want you to know that you're a greater masterpiece than that, though. Because God created you. You are God's masterpiece. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but guess what? You too were bought. I was bought with a price. Do you know what the cost for you and me was? It was the cross. It was the blood of Jesus. That's the cost for you and me to be created new, to be, God loves his masterpieces so much that he was willing to buy them back with the blood of Jesus. God bought you and me with the blood of Jesus. Look at this here. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. We look at that painting and guess what? The world says to us, wow, that painting must have incredible value and worth because someone was willing to pay that much for it. That's just a painting. That's just money. I think what God's telling us today is that as his masterpiece, regardless of what you think you see in the mirror or how you feel about yourself, God looks at you as his masterpiece and he loves you so much that he bought you with the blood of Jesus. And that should tell us more than anything. We have incredible value. 
You have incredible worth because God has said so. God has said that you have worth, not what the world has said, but God has said so. Pastor Phil's coming up because he's going to lead us in a song here in just a minute. And, and I just want us to, to think about this when we're singing this song is that Christ bought us with his blood. I think it's time for us to give to him what he purchased, don't you? I think that we should be giving all of our life to him. Just as God held nothing back when he created us as his masterpiece, he held nothing back. In our life, we've got to get to that same place where we hold nothing back from him. We surrender every part of our life. We surrender that old identity, the old way of life, the things that are holding us back, those doubts, those concerns. We let it all go and recognize that we are God's masterpiece and you have incredible value, incredible worth. I hope you see that this morning. And I want you to know that, that maybe it's time for you to surrender. Maybe it's time to surrender for the first time in your life. Maybe it's time to recognize what Jesus did on the cross and that you need him as your savior. Maybe it's time to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible tells us that when we do that, we are saved. We are given that eternal life that we so desire. Maybe for some of us, we've already made that decision and we have the surrender that's taken place in our life where we have the new identity. We have the eternal life but did you know surrendering is a daily choice? It's moment by moment when it comes to the eternal living. It's submitting our will for his. Recognizing who we are and what we've been created to be. So maybe there's something in your life. Maybe you've surrendered and you've gotten a new identity, but there's something that you need to lay at the feet of Jesus today to let it go and to truly surrender it once and for all. Whatever you need to do this morning, whether it's in your pew, whether it's kneeling up front, whether you're in your kitchen or your bedroom or hospital, wherever you are, take the posture in your heart that you need to, to, to lay it all out there to God, to hold nothing back from him. But would you stand and would you sing with us? There's a place where mercy lives and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and All the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down, at the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life, I'm in all of you, I'm in 
find yourself in a place of surrender this morning. I hope that you remember as you go throughout the week that you are God's masterpiece. You have incredible worth, incredible value. God has gifted you in ways to do the good works that he has prepared for you. You see, he's ordained the circumstances. He's arranged the situation so that you can do the good work. So keep your eyes open. Be connected with God this week. So wherever you are, you can ask him, God, what is it that you would have me to do? Do you have a good work for me to do where I'm at? And when you have that opportunity, take advantage of it. Take advantage of it and live it out. But walk in that new identity this week. Make a difference everywhere you go. Receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance and give you his peace. God bless you.